This week on Myths and Legends, there are five stories from Korean folklore woven into one. We'll see some unconventional parenting advice, the origin of the jellyfish, and why, on that trip through the dark forest, you should bring a drum with you, just in case you meet any tigers looking to cut loose. The creature this time is a vampire mermaid, who does what vampires do now, be really sad about being vampires. This is Myths and Legends, episode 264, On the Mountainside. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is like five stories woven together. I am super excited about it because it was really fun to do. And they all take place on a hillside in medieval Korea. And we'll jump in with a tiger who has some unconventional ideas about how to stop a baby from crying. Unconventional for a human, that is. Not so much for a tiger who just plans on eating the kid. The tiger could hear the baby crying over the sound of his own stomach. And that was saying something because both his stomach and the baby, they were loud. His stomach was right there, and the baby was in the village down the mountainside. And the parents, uh, look, the tiger didn't know about human parenting or any type of parenting. Baby tigers were basically good to go after eight weeks, and he didn't stick around that long. He didn't know about parenting, but those humans didn't seem to be doing such a great job at it. The baby had been crying for like an hour when the tiger realized something. Both his stomach and the baby could be silenced the same way, by him eating the baby. It was such an obvious solution that he was a little embarrassed it took him so long. As he walked toward the village and the baby's cries became louder, he decided that he was basically going to be their hero because that had to be annoying to everyone around trying to sleep. The tiger found the window with the kid and then ducked low to stay out of sight. The kid's mom was here. The baby would be enough for the tiger. And he didn't want a human adult making noise and rousing the whole village and turning it into this whole thing. He would wait. The mom was trying a different tactic than we personally did when our son was a baby and crying at night, which, sadly, might imply that they lacked the means to give the child something to eat in the night. But the thing about quieting down in response to a threat, you kind of need to understand the threat. The mom ducked low. Baby, baby, quiet down. There's a fox here, baby. He'll get you. The baby maybe didn't understand any of that because it was a baby. Maybe, like the tiger thought, it was brave enough to realize that foxes are like more skittish house cats around people. The tiger had respect for that tiny human. That tiny human knew what was up. Then, the mom said something that changed the tiger's respect for the tiny human to something approaching fear. Baby, baby, look out. It's that bear that lives down by the lake. Quiet, baby. Quiet or she'll eat you. But the tiny human kept making noise. The tiger was... Wow. Okay. I mean, bear wasn't a big, big deal. But humans found her scary, and you did not want to get between her and her cubs. A tiny human should definitely find her scary, though. Props, tiny human. Props. Then, the mother said something that chilled Tiger to the bone. 
Oh no, baby. It's that big tiger from the mountainside. He's at your window. He's about to jump in and eat you. Be quiet, baby. <laughs> the tiger chuckled. That's true. Then his toothy grin faded. Wait a second. The tiny human, the child, didn't stop crying. This baby, this baby wasn't scared of anything. This only made the tiger's resolve more steely. If this tiny human wasn't scared of him, while it was tiny, how much more worse would it be when it was bigger? He didn't just want to eat this baby today for his sake and all of tiger kind. He had to eat this baby today. He moved toward the window to pounce. The mother inside sighed. Baby, look, it's a persimmon. The baby stopped crying. We, of course, know that a persimmon is a fruit, and in this, it's kind of like a treat for a baby. The tiger knew no such thing. The old cat froze just below the window. The baby wasn't afraid of a fox, bear, or even him, but the child was afraid of... Persimmon? He didn't know what persimmon was, but he wasn't going to stick around and find out. He took off back to the forest before persimmon showed up. He was in such a rush that he didn't notice the trap until he was right on top of it. He crashed down through the leaves in the wood, hitting the ground hard. The following morning, with claw marks all along the walls of the trap, Tiger knew he was gonna die here. Then, far off, he heard footsteps and let out a little help in a mournful mew. The footsteps beat the ground faster and faster until a human head popped over the side of the pit. Hi, talking tiger. Oh, cool, you can understand me. Nice, uh, mind helping me out of this hole, the tiger said, his fearsome teeth forming an awkward smile. The man said he would absolutely love to help the tiger, truly. But the tiger was a tiger. He sympathized with the big cat, but the tiger would eat him the moment he was out of the pit. The tiger said, wow, uh, that's, I mean, speciesist much? The man held up his hands. Uh, whoa, okay, first, the tiger was a tiger. And second, the tiger was literally salivating? The tiger said not to worry about that. That was involuntary when he was around prey. He meant really cool guys who were nice and who were going to help him out of a jam. Look, what if the tiger promised not to eat the man after the man helped him out of the pit? The man thought about it. It was the right thing to do. Okay, he would help the tiger out if the tiger promised. Hold on. Several minutes later, the tiger heard grunting and scraping. The man was back and he had grabbed a downed tree from off in the forest. He pushed it over the lip of the pit, and the tiger leapt to the side as it bounced hard on the dirt. The tiger's claws dug into it as he pulled himself up the tree and out of the pit, and then his claws dug into the man's shoulders as he pounced on the human and reared up to tear out the man's throat. The human said, but, but the tiger promised. The tiger said that if the human reviewed the minutes, the tiger asked, what if he promised? But the human never actually asked him to. Also, the human shouldn't take a hungry tiger's promise anyway. The tiger hadn't eaten in two days, 
And if it was a choice between honoring his promise and dying or eating the human, sorry, he was eating the human. The human said, this was so unfair. The tiger uh, paused. No, it wasn't. The human just didn't understand the customs out here. If they asked anyone, they would all agree with the tiger. The human gestured with a head nod. Okay, let's do it. Anyone? The tiger said, okay, yeah, anyone. The human pointed to a tree. That pine tree. The pine tree stood there, still for a moment, and then every other moment that followed because it was a pine tree. Mm, human, if this is your choice for jury selection, you, you don't want me to be part of this. You don't want my opinion. The human said he wouldn't have asked for it if he didn't want it. He valued the trees. He would listen to the trees, or in this case, tree. What did the tree think? Was the tiger showing fairness and gratitude for the human rescuing him from the pit? The tree said if the human was going to twist its arm or, I guess, yank on its branch, it would chime in. Oh, this is going to be awkward. The tree didn't want to say this, but what did humans know about fairness and gratitude? The human swallowed hard. This might have been a bad idea. The tree went on. Humans use them for shade. That's a violation of personal space. But then they chop off tree branches to cook their meals and heat their homes. And when the trees have been alive longer than any human and finally matured, the humans cut them down, kill them, so they can make planks and beams, homes, temples, ships, furniture, tools. The handle of the shovel used to dig that pit was made with the body of one of the pine tree's friends. Where was the human gratitude? Fairness. This human used the body of the tree's brother to get the tiger out of the pit. The tree was working itself into a frenzy, leaves whipping around everywhere with the wind. Eat him, tiger. Fill your belly with him while you can, the original actually says. Let my roots soak up his blood. One fewer human in the world could only be a good thing. The tiger licked his lips, and the human said, wow. First, whoa, okay. He never cut down a tree, though he did live in a wood house, used wooden tools, and go to the bathroom. And I, you know what? Never mind. The tree was pretty biased against humans, though. The human yelled out that the pine tree should really see someone to work through those feelings. The tree yelled back that the only thing it cared to see was life leaving the human's body. Just then, the tiger and the human heard another traveler on the road. The human pointed to the traveler without looking before the tiger could bite down. What about them? What did they say about fairness and gratitude? The tiger looked up and smiled. Oh, wow, yeah, let's, let's see what they said about fairness and gratitude. The human looked up. It was an ox, a beast of burden. The human said maybe they could not do this one, but it was too late. The tiger presented his case to the ox, and the ox gave his judgment right up front. Eat the man. He wanted to watch. It didn't make up for the fact that since oxen could walk, they were put to work for the humans, carrying their loads and plowing their fields day in and day out until they were old and when they got too old to work, they were slaughtered. Humans ate their flesh and skinned them for leather. It didn't change the fact that humans didn't show any gratitude, that it wasn't fair or just. The ox just thought that it would be nice to see. See, the tiger said. Now he could eat this guy with a clear conscience. When the tiger was about to bite down, yet again, the man screamed out for him to wait, stop. The tiger relented. He can't have a calming meal if the guy's screaming in his face the whole time. What? There was a sound in the leaves. A slight rustling. There was one more. Another creature here. Those two, the tree and the ox, obviously had something against the humans. Over there was a rabbit. Please. One more animal. 
The tiger relented. Fine, one more animal. Rabbit, you hate the humans, right? Should I eat this guy? And remember, you probably want me to have a full stomach when I'm around you, Rabbit. Rabbit popped up. Well, okay, sure. He had reasons to dislike the humans. Absolutely, but that shouldn't factor into a fair judgment of this scenario. The human was very, very, very cautiously optimistic. The tiger explained the situation to the rabbit, who shook his head. You know, it just it wasn't clear. Uh, he needed to know more. He couldn't see in his mind where the pair was. He pointed to the pit tiger. Please, take your place in there. Tiger whispered to the human that tigers can run 30 miles an hour. Don't try anything. He removed his claws from the man's shoulders and climbed back down the tree into the pit. The rabbit then directed the man to stand where he had been standing and, yeah, no, still not seeing it. Wait, was that big tree there before? That one going down into the pit, the human asked? No, he dragged it over to let the tiger out. The rabbit laughed. Well, that was it. That's why he couldn't get a good read on the situation. Go ahead and pull that up. When the tree was out of the pit, the rabbit nodded. Here? Here was where it all started. The disagreement. He looked down at the tiger. The problem started when the man helped the tiger. Therefore, if you return to your original positions and the man doesn't rescue the tiger, then the disagreement will disappear. The tiger furrowed his brow. Wait. No, yeah, this. I like this guy. This rabbit makes a lot of sense, the man said, stroking his chin. The rabbit said that if the man had not shown kindness, the problem, this problem, would never have happened. But no one should be punished for showing kindness, not even a creature as terrible as a human being. His judgment was that the man goes on his way and the tiger remains in the pit. Rabbit? Rabbit, what are you doing? The rabbit looked down into the pit, to the starving tiger with a smile. Oh, just making sure justice was done. The tree and the ox raged, but the tree was a tree and not like an ant, so it was stuck there. And the man just led the ox home because, hey, free ox. The rabbit, however, had a message from the sea. It was the jellyfish. We'll hear the message the not-so-jellyfish has for the rabbit, but that will be right after this. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The rabbit looked the animal over jellyfish that was a weird name you'd think the creature would be more like jelly not this heavily armored crustacean-like creature before him the jellyfish said hmm very funny yes it was sort of an ironic nickname they called him jelly because it's so hard it's like how they call really big strong guys tiny or like little john the rabbit nodded okay cool so how could he help the not so jellyfish the jellyfish said that an animal fitting rabbit's description was to be an honored guest in the palace of the Dragon King. 
the being that ruled under the sea. The rabbit said, nice. Uh, one little sticking point though, he couldn't swim or breathe underwater. The jellyfish said that that was immaterial. The rabbit could simply ride down in the jellyfish's shell and he would be able to breathe under the waves. The rabbit shrugged, sure, why not? The rabbit and the jellyfish went to the shore. The rabbit climbed a shell and they submerged. The jellyfish wasn't lying. Rabbit could breathe underwater. It was all pretty amazing. Once they got below a certain depth, there were fields of waving green plants, magnificent valleys of gemstones, and schools of fishes that glowed like the rainbow. They landed at an opulent palace, the palace of the Dragon King, and Rabbit touched down, finding that it was more like a SpongeBob situation, where gravity and speech worked the same as it did on land. He was brought into the shimmering hall, and soon he stood before the majesty that was the Dragon King. Rabbit, as we've seen, was a shrewd little mammal, though, and he was waiting for whatever the rabbit equivalent of the other shoe was to drop. And drop it did. The Dragon King thanked the rabbit for coming all the way down to his domain, to be in his power, so that his sick wife could eat the rabbit's liver. The rabbit said, yeah, no problem. Mm, wait, what? The Dragon King turned to the jellyfish, Jellyfish didn't tell Rabbit why he had been summoned under the sea. The jellyfish said that he did not. He thought Rabbit wouldn't come if they were going to, you know, murder him. Rabbit stepped forward, and they thought so little of the surface world that this rabbity stranger in a strange land wouldn't give up his liver, and by virtue of his liver, his life, for the health of the Dragon King's queen. The jellyfish said, yeah, that's exactly how little they thought of the rabbit and the surface world please stop polluting. The rabbit said that they should prepare to have their minds blown or whatever it is that jellyfish had inside his armored skull. That one got a laugh from the dragon king because, monkey continued, he would give up his liver. The dragon king wiped a tear from his eye. Wow, what an amazing creature. All right, cut him up. Rabbit stepped back. Unfortunately, since his liver could be used to cure queens, he didn't keep it on his person, or I guess on his rabbit. The Dragon King was confused. Rabbit said, yeah, it was in a chest back in his burrow. It was very valuable to him, so he didn't just go walking around with it. If only Jellyfish had told him that that was the reason for the trip, it would have saved them all of this. Could Jellyfish escort him back up to the surface and his burrow so he could get his liver and come back down? The Dragon King humbled by the creature's devotion, agreed. Rabbit climbed atop the armored back of the jellyfish, and the creature ascended toward the light. Soon, they were back on the beach, where they had left, and Rabbit disembarked. He said he would be right back, but jellyfish's bony tentacle caught him. Oh, no, no, no. Jellyfish was going too. Rabbit shrugged, yeah, sure, only fair. Hey, let's do some fun little icebreakers as we walk through the forest. Little get-to-know-you questions. Favorite color? How often do you visit the surface world and how well do you know this forest? Jellyfish scratched his shell as he plodded along. Wow, good ones. Okay, uh, yeah. His favorite color, teal. He almost never visited the surface and he was completely unfamiliar with this forest. All this was kind of exhausting, actually. He was built for sea travel and it was kind of hard to move up here. The rabbit said that he was very happy to hear that. Welp, he was gonna be going. The jellyfish said, but what about the liver? The rabbit said, come on. The jellyfish didn't 
really believe that, did he? It was a lie, so that Rabbit could, you know, live. Jellyfish said he, he didn't understand. Rabbit didn't want to die for his devotion to the Dragon King? Rabbit said that he could see this was not going to be a very productive conversation, and since Jellyfish already revealed that he didn't know this area at all, the only thing Rabbit was going to say to him was, bye. With that, Rabbit bolted. Jellyfish waited there. Bye, and I'll be right back with the liver? Rabbit? Rabbit was so busy laughing at the jellyfish that he almost ran right into the human, the one carrying the millstone. The father of three sons was dying. Well, where we are in our story, he was already dead, but we'll back up a little bit to talk about why the kid is hefting a millstone, the greatest of his possessions, through the forest. And if you thought the father was a miller, well, you'd maybe be right. The story doesn't explicitly state that, but he was in possession of a millstone, and I can't imagine those were easy to come by. Regardless, the dad was pretty proud of his millstone. In fact, it was one of the three possessions that he had that he could pass on to his three sons. The millstone went to the oldest, the gourd and bamboo staff went to the second son, and the youngest got a drum. The father said that the value of the things was only as good as his son's good sense. So, you know, if it was a bad gift, that was on them. With that, he died. And the three sons took their items, and, having nothing left at home, decided to make their way in the world. That's where the eldest son almost stepped on Rabbit. It was surprising to both of them, but Rabbit barked that the guy needed to watch where he was going, or else Jellyfish would catch him and give his liver to the Dragon King. Then Rabbit kept running. The eldest son, the one with the millstone, said that he felt like there was some context there he was missing, but whatever. He kept walking. But not for long. Millstones, if you didn't know, are pretty heavy. So the fact that he was carting this thing around at all was a testament to both his devotion to his late father and his desperation, because that was his only possession in the world. And by the way, this wasn't a millstone like the type donkeys pulled or something. This was a traditional Korean millstone, which is a lot smaller, but think like two big wheels of cheese, and then think of them as being made out of stone. Yeah, not exactly travel-sized. The son didn't even really know how to use the thing, which is barely a knock against him because I don't know how I would use a millstone. Probably wouldn't use it as a pillow, though. The eldest son did, until he realized that he was sleeping in the dark forest. There were hungry, litigious tigers around. He climbed up the tree, taking his millstone with him, and settled in there. In the tree, though, he heard something below. Thieves. They had just come back from a big hall. You know that one last job? The one they could retire from? That was it, and they did it. But now they were arguing about their respective takes. It was scary at first for the man, but these guys just would not let that last thousand go saying each had more than the other, despite, despite some very basic accounting that could settle the issue immediately. Fear slowly transformed into annoyance, and then the eldest son had an idea. According to the earliest issues of Batman, criminals are a, quote, superstitious and cowardly lot, but to instill fear in their hearts, the eldest son didn't become a bat, a monster of the night. No, he did some light grinding. With the millstone, the thieves, hearing what they believed to be thunder from a clear sky, 
deduced that it was the wrath of heaven for what they had done, freaked out, and bolted without scooping up their cash. When they were gone, the eldest son scooped up all the cash and jewels and left almost as quickly. His good sense use of the millstone, one time in a tree above some very superstitious thieves, had made him into a rich man. We'll see what brothers two and three do with their items and come back to tiger and jellyfish, but that will, once again, be right after this. Hey, skeleton, wake up, the second brother heard. You know when you're groggy because you had to stop for the night to sleep on a gravestone and a goblin comes to wake you up because he thinks you're a skeleton buddy who was late because they had plans to go steal the soul of a rich man's daughter? I know, really common problems bordering on cliche, but that's where the second son found himself when he awoke. He rolled with it, though, and said yes. He was a skeleton. He was here already waiting for the goblin so they could steal that soul. Nice of the guy to show up. The goblin said it was pretty dark out here and he couldn't see the skeleton, but no offense to the skeleton, he smelled a lot like human. The second son said that it was because he used to be human, duh. It's called decomposition. Anyway, the goblin should pinch his arm if he had any doubts. The second son held out the bamboo. The goblin pinched it and said, yeah, all right. Well, okay, hold up. He wanted to feel the skeleton's head so the second son held out the gourd. The goblin marveled. Not even a bit of meat on him. How long ago was it that he died? The second son asked if the goblin wanted to stand here talking all night, or if he wanted to get to some soul stealing. The goblin smacked himself on the forehead. Ah, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, they should go. The goblin, it turned out, was pretty good at heists. They went to the village, and not ten minutes after they stopped in front of a mansion, he came running out of the rich man's house with something cupped in his hands. The second son asked, wait, did the goblin just steal a soul? It's that easy? Should we be worried about that? I mean, the humans be worried about that? The goblin asked if the skeleton had the bag, and luckily, the young man did have a bag. He held it out, and the goblin dumped the soul in there, warning the skeleton to cinch it tight, lest she escape. The goblin looked behind himself and swore. Sun was coming up. He had to go. They would meet up the following night. Until then, the skeleton should hold on to the soul. The young man waited for the goblin to leave, waited for the sun to come up, and then at daybreak, having nowhere else to go, and a staff and a gourd to his name, he walked back down to the village where, surprise, surprise, he found a group of people gathered before the rich man's house. Crying, it seemed that the rich man's daughter had died in the night. The young man looked at the bag by his side and thought for just a moment, uh, yeah, he was actually a shaman, and he had a cure for that. A cure for death? One of the rich man's guards asked. The second son shrugged. Yeah, why not? A scream from the room where the shaman, aka the second son, sat with the daughter later, a scream because she was surprised to be waking up in the morning with a strange man in her room. She had no idea what happened the night before, with the second son loosing her soul from the bag, and that thing just jumping right back into the daughter's chest and the girl came back to life with a start. And when it was all explained to her, she thanked the young man, and the pair got along well. So well, that they married. 
tiger, oh man, the tiger was done. Hunting people was too much work. The fighting, the talking, the screaming, the pleading. They just never quieted down and let you eat them. He stayed away from the villages, lest he run into persimmon, whatever that was. And now he was... Hmm. He paused. That... Were those drums that he heard off in the distance? Yeah, th those were all right. His hips began moving back and forth, shoulders swaying. He and the youngest son, the one who got the drum, almost ran into each other. But both were so busy dancing that they didn't have time to be scared. The youngest son, so into his drumming and so entranced by the tiger's moves, simply forgot to be afraid. They danced together for an hour before getting back on the road and continuing their dance, they came to a village. The people, rather than running in fear, stopped and watched the drummer and his dancing tiger. They thought it was a show. The youngest son was happy for the money they threw at him and the tiger for the scraps of meat that came without him having to chase down something and kill it or convince it to let him kill it. This was kind of awesome. Turns out there was a lot of money in show business, even back then because soon the youngest brother was richer than either of the other two. He actually ended up selling the dancing tiger to a king, and the tiger didn't care. As long as he had his music and his free meals, he would let anyone claim to own him. The three young men met back at the crossroads, where they had left each other all those months ago, each having changed. They talked about their adventures, but most of all, they talked about their dad. The three seemingly worthless gifts that he had given them had been something more. A chance, a chance at a better life for each of them, all because he believed in them. They remembered him and they were grateful. We have a short epilogue today where we catch up with some of the characters under the sea. Jellyfish said, yeah, I'm glad your wife is doing better. That she didn't need the rabbit liver, sir. But I uh, have some bad news. The rabbit, he fooled all of us, Jellyfish said, when he made it back down to the kingdom of the Dragon King, but told his liege not to worry. He had a plan. I think we should establish a beachhead, aggressively hunt rabbit in his kind. We can make some breathing apparatuses out of kelp to trap oxygen for those fish who aren't amphibious. And, uh, hi, everybody. Why is everyone closing in on me like that? Did you just call me a fool? The Dragon King glowered. Jellyfish scratched his armored head. Uh, not technically. He said that the Dragon King had been fooled. But they all had kind of been, so not even his fault. The rabbit was the trickster, and he had to pay. Dragon King paused for a long moment, and then turned to a lieutenant break every bone in his body. The jellyfish said, break every bone in rabbit's body. Right? My liege? The creatures of the deep began to close in around the jellyfish. You, your majesty? And that's how the jellyfish as we know it today, with its boneless, formless body, came to be. the story or rather stories this week it was about four or five different ones all woven together next week there's more monkey king 
where Monkey gets everything he ever wanted, heaven itself subservient to him in the palm of his hand, and we'll see just how much he has, or hasn't, changed. Real quickly, I have another fun announcement. In addition to Scoundrel and Fictional, we have a fourth podcast out right now. It's called Best of the Worst, and if you like the Creatures of the Week we do on this podcast, it's basically that, but with really just fun, off-the-wall, ridiculous heroes and villains from comic book history. So like Animal Vegetable Mineral Man, Asbestos Lady, Stilt Man and Lady Stilt Man, Microwave Man, stuff like that. It's really fun, and they're just short, twice-weekly episodes that come out on Tuesday and Thursday. If that sounds interesting, there's a link in the show notes, or you can find the show by searching for Best of the Worst wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the Iara, from Brazil. Now, contrary to what we think about vampires, there are a lot of ways to become a vampire. For example, in Brazil, if a person dies violently, or before their time, dies outside a Catholic church, is not given proper burial, has sold their soul to the devil for power, or is just left in the jungle, they could become a vampire. That last one has some caveats, though, because it's not just being left in the jungle. It's being dumped in the river and having your corpse befriend some fish. I guess a really awesome woman and her Amazon tribe learned that her brothers were jealous and also plotting against her. She learned this when they stormed her room and tried to murder her, but she was so awesome that she took out both of them in self-defense. The problem was that she tried to explain this to her father, her tribe's spiritual leader, but he was not having any of it. He ordered the woman's execution and she was hunted into the jungle, killed and left in the river. But Remember that she was awesome, and even the fish recognized this. They got together and used their magic to help her turn into the first human-fish hybrid, the Iara. She never really forgot what the people did to her, so she would lure men into the forest with a siren-like song. If she wasn't that into him, she would simply drain him of his blood and leave his body in the waterway. If she was, he would live under the river and join her little reverse harem that she had going. There is a protective chant that I hope you know, and if you manage to spit it out fast enough, you can remain resistant to her fishy wiles. Really, this is just sad for everyone. For the vampire who never wanted to end up that way. For the village that lost a family. And for the guys, who are either pressed into years of slavery if things go well, or exsanguinated and left in the river if they don't. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>